You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the editor of Green Book, Patrick J. Don Vito. Dear Dolores, D-E-A-R, this is an animal. As I'm writing this letter, I'm eating potato chips, and I'm starting to get thirsty. And you know this is pathetic, right? Tell me what you're trying to say. I don't know. Yeah. I'll miss her. Then say that. But do it in a manner that no one else has ever done it before. Something like, uh, put this down. Falling in love with you was the easiest thing I've ever done. Nothing matters to me but you. And every day I'm alive, I'm aware of this. I loved you the day I met you. I love you today. And I will love you the rest of my life. So can I put the P.S. Kiss the Kids? A P.S.? Yeah, like at the end. That's like clinging a cowbell at the end of Shostakovich's the seventh. Right. That's good. It's perfect, Tony. Hello, everybody. You're listening to yet another episode of the Next Best Picture podcast. I'm your host, Will Mavity, and with me, I have the editor of this year's hit green book, Patrick J. Don Vito. Patrick, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. You know, your your film has been the talk of the town these few days. It's, uh, it's kind of your big breakout editing hit. Are you uh, enjoying the award circuit? It's been fun. You know, it's a different experience for me, uh, having mostly done uh, big kind of broad comedies. So this comedy is so much different. Um, I did do a movie that still hasn't seen the light of day last year. That was also the 60s period piece drama called Three Christ, but it's not out yet. Ah, so that raises an interesting question, which is, mm-hmm. I know you worked with the, uh, the Farley brothers on Movie 43, but how did you end up doing something that is first and foremost a drama? Well, I think um, I knew Pete from uh, Movie 43, and also we did a, a pilot together that uh, was a British series they tried to bring here to the U.S. And so I knew Pete really well, and probably what helped is that drama. The fact that I had that drama in my um, repertoire, so to speak, um, probably helped sell me a little better with the producers and everything. But, hey, I can do that, too. I can do the drama. I can do the comedy. Um, so that that certainly helped, I'm sure. But uh, I just heard Pete was doing this, and then I got the script and read it and went, wow, this is really good, and this is really funny. And it actually made me cry at points in the script. So I thought, this is great. I'd love mm. to do this. And I emailed Pete and just said, hey, you know, do you have someone yet? And and luckily, uh, I got the job. That's fantastic. How is it editing something that, as you said, can make you cry when what you're used to is editing to emphasize laughs and comedic beats, which those are still here, but this is, you know, you, you want to punch me in the heart with this script. So how is that editing process different? Um, it's really just finding... Uh, the performances and the and the pieces that move me. I mean, I'm kind of a sucker when it comes to uh, movies and emotion. And so I, you know, I, I'll I'll be cutting something and I'll I'll well up while I'm cutting something if it's if it's hitting me right. So 
um, there's a little bit of that. Um, and, and also this movie was the balance because you have, you have those comedic elements and you kind of have to go, what, uh, is this the right time for a joke or is this too jokey of a joke? Is this, does it sound like a joke or is it come out of the scene naturally? And you have to kind of balance those two. And there are times, you know, when you have a really heartfelt, deep moment and then you want some, you're kind of uncomfortable and you want to laugh. And so having a joke after something like that sometimes is uh, kind of cathartic for an audience. And uh, um, it's interesting because you don't necessarily in a drama, the jokes don't necessarily, necessarily have to be as big as a, an all an all out comedy because you're going back and forth between the emotions. Um, but in this movie, I, it, you know, this movie was way funnier than I ever thought it would be on, on the page yeah, reading it. Of course. And that has a lot to do with Pete and it has a lot to do with the actors uh, really getting into character and Pete letting them um, go and try things. Um, and, and that was, but when, when the daily sort of coming in, I was like, wow, this is, this is really is going to be something special. I thought it would be, but you never know a any movie you work on, you can read it and go, this is great. And then the execution is everything and cast and crew. And it all has to come together. Well, you mentioned obviously how it kind of evolved from the script. Um, was there anything dramatically different between what was on page and what we saw in the theater? No, it's pretty, it's pretty close. You know, as far as story beats go, it's, it's pretty close to what's on screen. Even um, cutting room floor-wise, there's not a ton of deleted scenes. There's a bunch of deleted sections of scenes. Mm. So most of the scenes that were shot are in the movie, but shorter than they were shot. Um, for instance, like, uh, if you're, uh, what we have the, fried chicken scene right and we go on to right, uh, the uh, uh the plantation and the owner says the people in the kitchen have cooked up something very special for you and open it and it's fried chicken right mm -hmm. that scene went on five minutes longer and we cut out because that was a bigger better joke right there and that was a great ending but what the scene went on to was uh vigo uh is uh, Tony Lips uh, is, is eating the chicken with a fork and a knife and having problems. So he picks, he picks it up with his hand. And then he, and, and um, uh, Mahersha looks at him and kind of shakes his head no. And he goes, ah, forget it. And he keeps eating with his hands. And then everyone else starts looking and they all start eating with their hands. And everyone at the table starts eating with their hands. Oh my God. <laughs> so it was funny and it was great, but it was just at a certain point where like we have to, we have to keep going. And it's not, um, helping uh, the scene really, and it's not, uh, and we just need to move on with the movie. Even Pete's son was even in the scene as an extra, and he he still cut it because he had to. He felt like he had to. It also seemed a little more jokey, let's say, than uh, than uh, than other comedic bits in the movie. So it was yeah. kind of uh, you know, like let's this maybe is not the right comic uh, tone for this movie, and there were other things like that too that you kind of go. Uh, that seems, seems a good joke. Uh, let's let's take it out. We don't want to uh, leave that in. Let's make sure that comes from the the natural scene. The comedy comes from the scene. Can you the... give me another example of one of those? One of those that was uh, more traditional Fairly Brothers humor. There was nothing like outwardly big, but 
but you know, there was times when, uh, yeah, when you know, Vigo, you know, was ad-libbing things and tried things. There was, uh, like, there was one uh, in the Orange Bird at the end. Uh, he, uh, the, the bartender uh, says, uh, "Show me," and looks over the piano. And uh, Mahershala turns to the piano. Vigo does too, and he comes, turns back, and Vigo goes. It's not a Steinway, but and it was like, oh, it's funny, but like it sounds like he's trying to tell a joke. It's not a Steinway, but hey, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of that was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's kind of jokey, but you know, but it was great to have those moments, you know, and and kind of weed through them and kind of figure out the what works and what doesn't. And it's it's always better to have options because you never know. They would have gotten a laugh, I'm sure, in, in a in a movie theater, but I, I don't know if it was the right. I don't think it was the right tone, especially at that point in the movie. No, I mean, that's that's the emotional catharsis. And the fried chicken scene you mentioned earlier, you know, that would have turned what honestly was kind of a queasy moment in the film when you're like, oh my God, they're putting him through this into just another uh-huh. joke. I think that was a very smart decision on your part. Um, so you mentioned that there was a lot of ad-libbing on set. Was there anything that Vigo, particularly notable, that Vigo and Mahershala just dropped in there that you just loved and kept in the editing room? Let me see. Um, you know, uh, Mahershala added a line that was a great ad. And it was in the scene in the hotel where there, he's talking about how he grew up learning piano from his mom and he's telling his whole kind of history. And at the end of that scene is uh, Vigo says, you know, I think it's better that you didn't do uh, classical music. You know, what you do, people love it. And Mahershala says, thank you. And that was going to be the end of the scene. Thank you, Tony. Scene ends. But Mahershala said, you know, uh, Don Shirley wouldn't have just said thank you. I mean, he wanted to be a classical pianist his entire life. And so he added a line. And he said, the line was, uh, but not everyone can play Chopin, not like I can. Mm. That line adds so much to the end of that scene and he was oh, so right um and that was that was all Mahershala oh that's fantastic yeah no I, I completely agree yeah. so were, was the structure of the states pretty much always the same as in the script was that something you toyed with was it always going to be Georgia then Louisiana et cetera, et cetera? there was yeah there was pretty much the 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 structure and they kind of were going off of um they had a real map kind of a real uh, uh journal of where they went so they were trying to keep it as real as possible um even the sequences i mean as crazy as some of the stuff is it's all stuff that really happened um obviously dialogue is written but but all things happened ymca happened um the show uh leaving the show happened um mm. it, all this stuff you know was like not created uh, which is always the weird balance when you're telling a real true story you always go to the movie theater and you go i wonder how much of that's real or true <laughs> it's always one of those questions you oh, ask yeah, of course <laughs> and surprisingly there was a lot of this i mean tony lip his son wrote it and he wrote it based on journals and recordings he made of his father and he also uh made some recordings with uh with don shirley too and so that was kind of their they wanted to keep it as real as possible and and you know even, you know, spoiler alert, even the end, you know, is um, with 
Mahershala coming back to the uh, um, to Tony Lip's house, uh, that's that really happened. So um, as much as you know, it seems like it's kind of this happy ending, you know, kind of story. It, it's that's how it really happened. It's the truth. So we're telling that. Yeah, we're telling that how it is. Now, talk to me a little bit about kind of working in a film that is so music heavy as this. Uh, tell me about your relationship with Chris Bowers and the music supervisors, et cetera, et cetera, in the film. I, I love music. I played piano growing up, and I've got to do a couple little tunes in different movies I've worked on. So music's always really important to me. Sometimes I'll just put on music uh, to cut with, just, uh, just to have something, you know, uh, that's, puts me in a mood, a certain mood. I have a little portable record player I can bring along and I have records and I can actually put on, on vinyl, which is kind of fun. Um, but it was a really great relationship. Uh, you know, Tom and Manish, the music supervisors at the beginning of the show gave me a huge bin of music because what we were facing was, uh, not a big budget for music. And I wanted to have lots of songs in the movie. I just felt like it puts you in the period. And so they got this huge uh, bin of music that was affordable 60s music and amazing, great stuff. I mean, really great stuff. Uh, uh, probably about 80% of what I placed in the movie uh, from those bins, that made it to final. So those really? songs were exactly what we used. Yeah. So that was my placement of music. And then, uh, you know, Chris Bowers was uh, played piano in the the movie. I mean, he was he was playing all the Don Shirley pieces. That's him playing oh. Don Shirley. He's amazing. He's like uh, incredible and such a kind guy. Um, and so uh, he would have his versions of Don Shirley, which because basically the Don Shirley recordings, they're not the greatest recordings. So if we tried to actually play those recordings, you would tell you could tell they were recordings. Um, of course. So we had to re-record everything. Re-record everything. Um, he was phenomenal. And um, so basically it was a balance of how much Don Shirley versus how much uh, score versus how much uh, needle drop uh, music. So Mahershala was not doing any piano playing in this. Mahershala, what he did is he, he uh, practiced with Chris Bowers for about three months because he wanted to be proficient enough to like kind of, you know, fake it to know where to look where to place his hands and that sort of thing. And then for every scene, uh, we'd have Chris Bowers play the, the music and then we'd shoot Mahershala and then our VFX company, uh, Pixel Magic, they would do their magic and they would combine them. So they would um, uh, basically make it look like Mahershala was playing, even though uh, it technically wasn't him. That's pretty crazy, honestly. That's that's some inspired VFX trickery I never would have noticed. Was that the only thing in the film that the VFX team really had to step in to do, or is there other stuff I'm not noticing? It's a, it, there was a crazy amount of VFX for a movie that's not a VFX movie. It was uh, probably about 300, over 380 visual effect shots. Wow! Yeah. So, uh, where else? Here's kind of the breakdown of them. You, you've got, all throughout the movie, you've got uh, uh, deleting things that aren't uh, time, that aren't 1962. There's modern elements. As you're driving down a street, a street sign. Um, you've got to get rid of it because it's a modern street sign. So um, you're, out in the, there's a, you're out in the street and there's cameras on posts. You've got to get rid of those. So there's a bunch of those. 
for uh, one thing. Then you've got the car. Well, the car they got, um, it, it was kind of last minute and quick. And it had a tear in the roof and one of the hooks was rusty. So it's supposed to be a new car. It can't have a tear in the roof and be rusty. <laughs> so we had to fix every one of those shots. Almost, I'd say 90% of the car shots are visual effects and getting rid of um, the tear in the roof or the rusty hook. Oh my um, God. So there's that. Uh, there were, uh, you know, that one of the most amazing shots they did is when they're leaving New York, they go across the George Washington Bridge. Right. That, that was a modern shot with modern cars. Oh my God. So what they had, what they had to do, I I didn't think they'd ever be able to do it, but they had to, you have the cables coming down on the sides of the, uh, the bridge. They had to delete all those cables, get rid of all the cars on both levels. Remember, because it's a two level bridge and underneath there's all those cars underneath. They had to then put new blacktop on the street and every one of the cars in that, in that sequence, they're all digital cars. Everyone. That's insane. Not a real car. So that that shot was like probably the bane of their existence. I'm sure they, um, but they did an amazing job. And when it came back, <clears throat> I was like, wow, <laughs> how did you do that? I never thought the whole time I was like, they're never going to be able to do this. It's going to be one of those shots we get back and we're going to go, no, it doesn't work. We have to cut it out of the movie. No, it was amazing. Oh my God. I'm trying to go what else. I mean, there's, there's stuff here and there. We oh, because you know when you see it on a big screen, uh, when you see it in its full resolution later at the lab, you notice things you maybe didn't notice when you're cutting on the Avid in a compressed HD resolution. So then we'd we'd have twenty, thirty more shots to do because we saw them while we were uh, doing the color correction. So that's a whole other you know set of visual effects to do. Um, and, and yeah, it just went on, on and on like that. It seemed like, oh my God, we just keep editing stuff. Are we going to be able to do this? <laughs> so, can we afford it? And can we finish it in time? Oh my God. Yeah, because this was not a big budget movie. I'm amazed that they were able to dedicate this much VFX work to it. Yeah, there was a lot of moving around the money. So, you know, moving from here to there. And we, we actually wound up uh, being under budget, I think, by the end. So that was good. Now, another area I was curious about is you throw some interesting transitions into the film. All kinds of different stuff. Among them, you use like wipe techniques, which I hadn't used frequently. How did you go about choosing some of those atypical tradition uh, transitions? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, like with the car kind of wiping into the, right, the right, um, right. plantation. Exactly. Yeah, it was things that uh, we kind of just wanted to try some things and maybe make a movie that felt like uh, an, an old style movie. You know. Um, also, there was like the the map transitions where they're driving oh, yeah. and have the little map come up. Uh, that was those were kind of a late ad because we uh, we felt like um, one there were some beautiful shots that um, Sean Porter got, uh, like those big sweeping shots, you know, of, of them driving, and we wanted to use those shots in the movie, and so that was one way to do it. But also, we were concerned uh, foreign. Um, they they might not know the U.S. as yeah. well as people here do. So maybe throwing up a map once or twice, kind of showing a route would help kind of solidify it, you know, and make you know exactly what was happening. So we kind of tried to do that a couple times where it felt like uh, it felt natural, you know. 
it, it also that first time we do that, it, it was kind of a heavy moment we're coming from. And then we go into this kind of lighter uh, uh, letter reading scene. And what that transi transition helps do is give you a little break to, to register what just happened before you start having this funny letter where he's reading it, you know, I am fine, you know. Um, so it gives you, when you went right from that to the letter, it, it was so kind of abrupt, you know, this, this moment at the car with Don telling him, you know, you didn't have to uh, be outside, they did to all the drivers that were playing dice. And so it gave you a, a brief moment to let that sink in and see their journey go on and then letter. So that was kind of a great place for that. Um, and then later on, we, we do that again. We do it during one of the, the, the montage sequences over them laughing in the car. And, and it just added a little element that kind of made us um, feel like it, it was kind of this movie, this old, this kind of classic movie. And but we didn't want it to be Indiana Jones. We definitely wanted to stay away from that of kind course. of big kind of thing. We wanted to make it seem like very smooth and not like stand out in the movie. So that's kind of how it happened. And we had our title company design that kind of map. They they did that to overlay on top of that. Well, the uh, the final thing I have to ask anyone who worked on Green Book is the film has gotten tangled in some elements of controversy with Don Shirley's family saying they don't like his portrayal in the film. Would, would you care to comment on that? Or is that something you prefer to avoid? I don't know much. I don't know much about it. I know that they did. They, they talked to the family before the movie started shooting. So it was not a, they read that they've been along all the time. So I'm, I'm not sure what the controversy is or, uh, or, or why, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting, but uh, um, you know, there's not a lot out there about Don Shirley. I mean, if you go looking for information, there's not a lot of stuff. There's some videos and things and, and there's not a lot, but, uh, but I know the writers did talk to him. So that's, that's about all I know. <laughs> so room. Uh, as we get ready to wrap up here, uh, is there anything no one's asked you about green book yet that you would love to tell us? Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a tough one. No one's asked me about. Um, you know, uh, I think that uh, I did a lot of traveling on this movie, and uh, I kind of felt like I was away from home a lot, and I felt like I was, you know, kind of uh, on the journey with them because they were in my on my screen every day, and here is Tony Lip away from away from home. Uh, and, uh, it was really good to be back home when I was, when I was done. Um, <laughs> but we spent, we spent so much time we were, I was in New Orleans with them when they were shooting. And then I was in Ojai, uh, cause Pete lives in Ojai. And so we spent about six weeks in Ojai and then I finally got to come back home and, uh, with, uh see my wife who had, you know, I'd been missing for, for so long. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was, I think part of what made the special for me was. Um, I felt like I was on the journey with them and I felt like I was away from home. And so it was nice to, to kind of complete that journey and uh, with these characters that uh, were amazing performances that I never thought uh, were well, well beyond uh, my expectations. Well, I mean, it surprised everyone on the festival circuit. It wasn't really in people's Oscar predictions before TIFF and then it's just kind of blown up. So um seems like you made a smart move getting attached to this one. 
Yeah, it was one of those funny things, you know, when I was working on the movie, you know, we we had our screenings and and we did so well in the screenings. Like it was I think everyone was kind of surprised, you know, and the studio and everybody. So uh, when we did so well, it was like, well, this is this is this happening? I know we do screen again and we do really well again. And we go, OK, well, we're on the right track now. OK, <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> we're, we're doing OK. Um, um, and so then it was it was easier to lock the film at the end because we had had these screenings that you know kind of told us yeah we're in the right we're moving in the right direction um because i always like to to screen movies for even if for friends or family for groups of you know 20 30 50 people whatever to kind of just get a feeling of where you are you know when you're sitting in a room with people watching a movie you can tell you can feel when things aren't working it's oh yeah it's very palpable you can you can go oh my god this is this is not working this is a problem um so that is really helpful i mean being in the same room and uh, and kind of getting a, a vibe and then you can go back to the cutting room and kind of adjust make adjustments so i know you're taking a little bit of a break right now during the oscar season do you know what you're going to be working on next i've, I've interviewed for a few things um I've nothing planned yet um but uh my wife is pregnant with our first baby so i have that coming up <laughs> so that'll probably keep me very busy uh, in the uh, in the times i'm not in the cutting room so yeah, you thought those editing hours were long. You ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. This should be fun. It should be really fun. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. I wish you the best of luck this Oscar season. Hopefully we see you at the ACE Awards, and who knows, maybe even at the Oscars. So best of luck with the child, and thanks for taking a moment to talk <laughs> about your film. Thank you. appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the editor of Green Book, Patrick J. Don Vito, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and now newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, let us know what you think of the show. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.